1: Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Raydolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
0: This podcast is for mature audiences. It contains graphic violence and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Realm Presents Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral. Episode 1. July 1847. Trincheras, Sonora, Mexico. The Mexican-American War rages on. The United States has annexed Texas and continues to expand west toward the Pacific coast, relentlessly seizing land that Mexico claims as its own. American forces have even invaded Mexico's heartland to force Mexico to surrender the disputed territories. This is the world into which Joaquin Murrieta was born. And this is his story.
1: Trincheras was a small village nestled in the valley between the towering peaks of the Sierra Madre Mountains. In those days, Most of the men from our town were off fighting against the United States intervention. But at 15, I, Joaquin Murrieta, was still too young to take up arms. My father and my older brother, Jesus, had joined Santa Ana's army and they made me promise to stay behind and take care of my mother and sister. So far, the fighting had not reached our village, but people were anxious just the same rumors had spread of American soldiers rampaging through small towns in search of women, liquor, or treasure. During the day, we tried to live normal lives, but at night, we bolted our doors and prayed we'd make it to morning. That caution also meant that after dark, I could move about unseen. After my mother and sister went to bed, I often slipped out of the house and went to the hacienda of Don Ramon Feliz, the village's wealthiest man, who owned a huge rancho at the southern tip of the town. Don Ramon was rich enough that both of his children had their own rooms. I had only to tap on Rosa's window, and within minutes, she would sneak outside. Tonight, Rosa and I had gone to the stables and walked hand in hand among the finest horses I had ever seen, making plans for our future together. When the church bells rang for 10 o'clock, the hour when she had to be back inside the house because her father would soon check the bedrooms, she wrapped her arms around me and pulled me close. She pressed her lips to mine for a Kiss that seemed both eternal and far too brief. Finally, she squirmed from my grasp, flashed me a smile full of love and promise, and rushed back inside. <sighs> that kiss—I could still feel it. Rosita, as I've always called her, was a year younger than me, too young to wed. But I would have married her in an instant had Donna Ramon allowed it. See, it wasn't her beauty only that attracted me. It was her spirit, her wit, her gaiety, her fierce intelligence. I wanted to breathe in every aspect of Rosita, inhale her and never exhale again. (sighs) That kiss. I was halfway home when I heard hoofbeats approaching from the east. At this time of night? Was the war finally coming to Tranchiras? As they drew nearer, the riders started whooping. Anybody riding down the street would see me, but I spotted three barrels on the shadow of the building. Racing across the road, I ducked behind the barrels just as the riders swung into view. There were only two, but they made enough noise for a dozen. A nudge from behind startled me, and I almost cried out. Then I turned to see a scrawny stray dog sniffing me. Go away! The dog looked at me. I shoved it, but it merely shook its head and stood its ground. Have it your way! I grabbed the mud and wrapped the hand around its snout, wrestled it into my lap. The beast squirmed, whimpered, then settled. Now the riders were close between the buildings lining the main road. They slowed, walking their horses down the street. Both men wore absurd three-cornered hats and boots that reached to their hips. They were indeed Americans. I was learning English, so I understood some of what they were saying. Don't this town got any ladies? Wake up, people. Come out and let's see what y'all got. No one answered. I peeked out between the barrels One of the men was tall and lean, with a long, red beard. The other was shorter, heavier, with a sparse, dark beard. His expression reminded me of a spoiled child whose favorite toy had been snatched away. He cursed loudly in English. He dropped his hand to his hip and drew a pistol from its holster. The tall one chuckled and grabbed for his own gun. (laughs) Can't wake him up one way, we'll do it another. The tall one said, just then the dog slipped from my grass and started out into the street. I grabbed for it, but I missed. I nearly called it, but caught myself and kept quiet. What's that? The heavy man asked. Just an old dog. Replied the other. You gonna shoot it? Nah, shooting ain't a bad idea though try to pull my body inside itself to become as small as possible so that no part of me could extend past the barrel. I didn't know what was in it, but desperately hoped there was something that would stop a bullet. When I took another look around the barrel, I saw that the men were riding slowly down the road, shooting into the adobe walls of the homes and shops, reloading and shooting again. The pock marks their balls left wouldn't do much damage, but the noise was horrific. Finally, a door opened in one of the long adobe buildings, and Abuela Espinosa emerged. She wasn't really my grandmother, but one of the oldest women in the village, and she treated everyone as if we were all her grandchildren. She had straw-like gray hair and a face as wrinkled as a dry fruit. She gripped her walking stick in one bony fist and screamed at the Americans. The men glanced at each other. It was obvious they didn't understand a word that she was saying. I could have translated. There are no soldiers here for you to fight. Go away. But if I had stepped out of my hiding, I'd probably earn a bullet from my trouble. You got any daughters all head) <laughs> Granddaughter. granddaughters! Abuela approached the riders and shook her stick at them, shouting, Payanse, go now! As she jabbed the tall soldier's horse in the snout, the horse reared back, startled, nearly throwing its rider, who fired his pistol. The shot caught her in the forehead. She dropped to her knees and the stick fell from her hand. Blood spattered the stick as she swayed from side to side. From behind her, someone else stepped outside. It was Pepe, her grandson, a boy of nine years. Abuela, son hombres malos, come back inside. She swiveled toward him. The boy's mouth dropped open at the sight of her ruined face. Tears welled in his eyes. There were two more shots, one from each man. Abuela and Pepe both dropped to the blood-soaked earth and were still. The men swung their horses around and galloped out the way they had come. I came from behind the barrels, up and down the street. Other doors opened and people, mostly women and children, all that was left in the town came out. Within minutes, wails and cries echoed through the night. Abuela had lied. Some soldiers were stationed at trincheras. They were assigned to guard the mission there, and especially to watch over the handful of American prisoners held in one of the mission's well-fortified storerooms. But by the time they heard the commotion, the Americans were long gone. One of the prisoners was a man named William Wallace Burns, or as he had said to me the first time he met me, Bill to my friends. Bill Burns had been captured during the Battle of Buena Vista, along with a few companions, and in prison at the mission. Before the war, he'd worked for the Mexican government hunting renegade Indians, and he learned Spanish while practicing the trade. And even though he was a prisoner, we had quickly become fast friends. Burns often entertained me with colorful tales of the United States while helping me with my English. The day after the killings, I sought him out. Why would Americans do such a thing, Bill? An old woman and a child? It was horrible. Burns sat on a wooden bench in the mission's courtyard. He gestured for me to sit down beside him. I'm sorry you saw that. Were the men regular army? Seeing that I didn't understand the question, Burns tried again. What did they look like? Were they in uniform? I described the strange hats, the boots, the full beards, and Burns began shaking his head before I was even finished. Regular army troopers wear light blue uniforms, like mine. These men sound like Kentucky volunteers. Those bastards have a reputation for stirring up trouble. But if they're not with the army, many states have sent their own volunteer units to help in the war effort. Some are less professional than others, obviously. Your general should send them all home. This war shouldn't even be fought. I, I mean, I can't argue with that. I mean, like most wars I reckon, it's over land and wealth. And those that have most land have most wealth. And those that don't, I mean, they get the short end of the stick. They do the fighting and dying for the benefits of others, who usually stay far away from that battlefield. I fought back tears. But to slaughter Abuela and Pepe? Like they were dogs? You're right, Joaquin. It's a vicious act. Thing is, if they did it so easily here, they're not likely gonna stop. They'll do it again. And Lester stopped. And soon. When I tapped on Rosita's window that night, she appeared almost instantly and shished me. A few minutes later, she came out of the house and into my arms. I kissed her cheeks, her hair, her nose, her lips. Finally, she spoke. Shall we ride? Riding came to her as naturally as breathing. She had been raised in the saddle and had taught me most of what I knew about horses. Let's walk instead, I suggested. There's so much I want to talk to you about. She took my hand and we set off. The bright moon illuminated the tall stalks of the yucas and the round shapes of the creosote bush and mesquite. We could walk for hours and never leave our father's lands. Joaquin, I heard about Abuela and Pepe. You were there? I was on my way home from seeing you. I heard men riding in and I hid behind some barrels. I saw the whole thing. Qué horror! Are you all right? They never saw me, I'm fine. But if they come back, they won't. The soldiers rode out after them today. And you'll never believe it. Bill Burns went with them. The American prisoner? The one you're so taken with? He's my friend. I'm almost jealous of him. You spend more time with him than when you do with me. Not by choice. I mean, you know I'd be with you every minute if I could. Our hips bumped as we strode. Hand in hand, she leaned in once and kissed me on the cheek. Then laughing, dodged when I tried to kiss her back. Anyway, I continue. Bill volunteered to go after the killers. As soon as I described them, he knew who they were. Not their names, but what army they were with. He says he knows how they think and where they'll go from here. Rosita was shocked to hear this. Our soldiers are letting an American prisoner go with them to hunt other Americans? Bill convinced them. Joaquin, he'll escape. He promised he wouldn't. And they believed him? It looks like it. They took him. He doesn't have any weapons, though. The more I told Rosita, the more uneasy she became. I, I, I would be very surprised if they gave him a weapon. A prisoner? An American soldier? How do they know he didn't plan this whole thing? Maybe the killers were just here to draw our soldiers away for an attack. They didn't all go, Rosita. Just four of them. And Bill. Four less to defend the village. Nothing ever happens here. Rosita dropped my hand and spun to face me. You saw two people murdered here, Joaquin. Pues sí, eso. But the war hasn't even come here. Yet, why would Bill want to go, if not to escape? Those were American soldiers, just like him. Weren't they? Bill says they weren't part of General Taylor's army. They were, uh, something else, I, I, I forgot the word. Rosita shook her head. But, Americans. Yes, they were Americans. But Bill says they were bad men, and they need to be stopped. You may have good reasons to doubt Bill, Rosita, but I think he's an honorable man. Rosita looked at me then as if she were ready to continue arguing, but something in her face changed when she met my eyes. She reached out her hands again, took mine, and drew me close. In the nearby brush, a night creature skidded away. While I hope you are right, and he can help to stop them. Now, why aren't you kissing me?
0: As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify.
1: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dallowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Two days later, I had just finished school for the day when I heard commotion outside the mission grounds. I hurried to the gate and saw seven horses coming up the road. Five carried people I knew, four soldiers from the mission, and Burns. The other two horses I'd seen once before, but the men who'd ridden them were now draped over their backs, arms hanging down on one side and legs on the other. I watched them approach. Burns brought his horse to a stop and dismounted. He called out to me and motioned me over, You're the only one who saw the killings, Joaquin. Can you identify these men as murderers? He led me to the bodies. They were both clad in uniforms, similar to the ones I had seen that night. Burns grabbed one man's hair and raised him enough for me to see his face. It was the heavyset man with the short, dark beard, easily recognized, despite the gruesome hole that had caved in his left eye. Finally, I spoke. Yes. That's one of them. Burns moved to the other. I knew even before he lifted the man who it was, the red hair was a giveaway. That's the man who shot Abuela, I told Bill. I think the other one shot Pepe, but they both fired at once, so I'm not certain. You sure? Burns asked. That's them. Burns turned and nodded to the four Mexican soldiers. Well, boys, looks like we done good. These are the murderers. Corporal Alejandro De Santis turned to me. Your friend Bill is quite the tracker. There were times we'd have lost him, but he always picked up the trail. And when we finally had them surrounded, the big one broke away, and Bill stopped them, unarmed, and broke the bastard's neck with his bare hands. He was gonna get away. I did what I had to do. He plays it down, De Santis told me. But it's true. Not for him. These killers might have escaped. Thank you for identifying these men, Joaquin. Now we need to bury them. They're beginning to stink. One of the Desantis men grumbled. Yeah, los encontramos. Stink more, then. Desantis answered. I asked the corporal if the killers would be buried in our cemetery. Murderous <laughs> scum like them? <laughs> no. Unmarked graves in the desert for these two. The soldiers turned the horses over to me to groom and put away. Burns came over to thank me, and I asked what would become of him now. It's back to lockup for me. Even though you caught the killers of Abuela and Pepe? That was the deal, Joaquin. I watched as the Santis walked him back towards the locked mission storerooms, where the prisoners were kept. Burns kept his head up and his shoulders square might have been a prisoner, but he looked every bit of a free man. Because a storm had left the earth sodden, Rosita and I took refuge in one of her father's barns instead of walking or riding on the grounds. She had brought out her rosewood guitar and sat up against the wall, strumming it and humming Mexican love songs. While I lay with my head on her outstretched legs, The barn walls shut out the rest of the world, and I would have stayed there with her forever if I could. Rosita suddenly stopped strumming. It's just so unfair. What is? I asked, opening my eyes. Bill, you were right about him. He is a good man, a man of honor. The village needed justice for the murder of Pepe and Abuela. He helped us all, and in return... He's locked up, just like before? Arguing with Rosita was pointless. I'd never know anyone with such a quick mind. She could argue circles around me. I give up. You're right. It is unfair to keep him locked up. But what's to be done about it? This, as it turned out, was exactly the wrong thing to say. While walking, if you think it's unfair, help him escape. Help him, that's what I said. Rosita began strumming again. You believe he shouldn't be a prisoner anymore. Wow, you're not a prisoner. Do something about it. But the soldiers, they'll be furious. They'll only be angry at you if they catch you. You don't wanna be caught, right? No, I'd rather not. But how can I help them get away without being seen? How many guards are there at night? There's always one, at least. Maybe two. When are there two? Well, when they change shifts. I've been there at night and seen the new one coming on duty and chat with the new one he's relieving. And you know at what hour that change comes? I do. Always around two o'clock. Rosita bumped my head with her guitar. Ow! What are you doing out so late? Going home after seeing you? Usually? Usually? You leave here at 10. I don't always go straight home. Usually I'm too excited to sleep. And you stop at the mission? Sometimes. Wow, if you want to help Bill escape, you need to do something about the guards, right? Yes, but what? Rosita set the guitar aside and shifted her legs. I sat up, allowing her to rise. She crossed the barn and stopped at a cabinet containing medical supplies for the livestock. I might have just the thing. Three nights later, the scant light of a new moon barely broke through the cloud cover. I had enlisted the help of Manuel Duarte, my cousin. Manuel was almost a decade older than me. He had been working as a vaquero when a rope cow made a sudden lurch and Manuel's rope crushed his finger against the saddle horn. What was left of the finger had been hurriedly amputated. Ever since, the men he worked with called him Tres Dedos. He was a bear of a man, with long, unkempt black hair, framing a pitted, scarred face. His brow jutted over his eyes like a shelf. His nose was broad, his lips thick, more accustomed to sneers than smiles. He had a neckline like a bull and was physically stronger than anyone I had ever known. He had been away fighting Americans in the war, but because he was also related to Abuela and Pepe, the army had relieved him from duty so he could attend their funerals. When I had told him about Burns Row and catching the killers, Tres Dedos hadn't been moved. He was glad the killers had been caught. But to him, Burns was just another enemy soldier. When I pressed and when I described my plan, well, Rosita's plan, Tres Dedos became interested, if only for the daring involved. We slipped through the darkness onto the mission grounds, as I had done many times before, and into the kitchen. Tres Dedos stood watch outside the door, while I lit some candles and brewed a pot of strong hot chocolate. When it was done, the rich aroma filled the space. I filled two mugs, then added a few drops from a bota strung around my neck. Rosita said that it was what her father's vaqueros used to put the horses and cattle to sleep when they needed surgery. Too much, she warned, would doubtless kill a man. But a little, would only knock them out. I stirred the thick chocolate, then whisked a quick sniff. The scent of the chocolate overpowered everything else. I went outside and touched my cousin's arm. We left the kitchen door open and the candles burning inside, then hurried across the courtyard to a shadow niche on the far side from which we could watch the kitchen door. It didn't take long for a soldier named Gustavo Parra newly arrived to relieve the other guard, to notice the glow from the open door. He went in to investigate and reappeared a couple of minutes later, carrying both mugs. Ale, he said in a loud whisper. Ale, there's chocolate. Alejandro De Santis emerged from the corridor that led to the locked storerooms. What do you mean? I don't know who made it. There's nobody around, and there are two mugs. One for each of us. Well, somebody made it, De Santis said. Then they can make more? Do you want some or not? Nah, why not? De Santis reached for one of the mugs. He took a big sniff, smiled, then down what must have been half of it in a single gulp. Watching, my gut clenched. What if the soldier doubled over with pain or fell to the ground, writhing in agony? Neither of those things happened. The men headed back towards the storerooms, chatting quietly. Now there were two guards in the way, instead of none. And my fears turned from the soldiers' well-being to the failure of the plan. I don't know about this. Give it some time to take effect, Tres said. I've seen this stuff work on horses. It has to spread from their stomach throughout their bodies. Yes, I'm sure you're right. It's just hard to be patient. Tres Dedos blew out an angry breath. Believe me, I know. I meant to thank you, Joaquin. ¿Por qué? For you're out finding the men who killed my aunt and my nephew. If you hadn't seen it happen, they never would have been caught. I just happened to be there. I wish I could have done more if I had been able to stop it somehow. You couldn't have. you just have gotten yourself killed as well, and then they would have gotten away with it. I suppose you're right. Still, I, I felt so helpless. There were two of them, both soldiers. You were unarmed. You're smart and strong. But you're still a boy. And you weren't helpless. You reported it and justice was done. And now you're helping your friend who actually delivered that justice. You've done all anybody could and more. I'm grateful. His words comforted me ever since that night. I felt guilty about hiding behind barrels while my neighbors were slaughtered. But hearing that Tres Deros didn't blame me, it meant a lot. There was a loud thump from the corridor leading to the storerooms. Tres Dedos and I were instantly alert. I heard the Santis' voice. Gustavo, what are you doing? Get out, for. A moment later, the Santis came into view, stumbling drunkly. He. Gustavo, he's, a. The Santi's eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed to the ground. I started to rise. Tres Dedos gripped my arm. Wait! Make sure no one else has heard the commotion. The next part of the plan was to liberate eight horses from the stables and tether them outside the mission grounds. The effort had a dual purpose. It would provide mounts for the escaped prisoners and it would deprive the soldiers of animals on which to give chase. I really just wanted to release Burns, but Rosita and I hadn't been able to come up with a way just to do only that. Rather than to make Burns languish in captivity, we just have to let all the Americans go. Waiting was excruciating. What if one of the priests came out to investigate the noise? Nobody did, though. Finally, Tres Dedos gave me a nod. Vámonos. Cautiously, we crossed the courtyard. De Santis slumbered away. We stepped around him and into the corridor, where lantern light showed Para slumped against the wall mouth hanging open, and a thin line of spittle descending from it. I went to the barred window of the storeroom door. -"Bill!" again? Bill replied at once. -"What's going on out there?" -"We're getting you out, Bill." -"Where is the key to the door?" -"Parsha have it. Alice's shift hasn't started yet, and the guards always pass it over when they change shift." Dedos was already searching the sleeping soldier. Get ready to go, Bill, I said. Your friends, too. There are eight horses waiting for you, and everybody's asleep here. I don't. What do you mean? You did this? Yes. You don't deserve to stay locked up in here. Not after catching those killers. Go back to America. Just please, make sure your friends don't come back to the village. You have no enemies here. Joaquin, this is crazy. What if you're caught? If you hurry, we won't be. Tres dedos came towards the door, carrying a brass ring with three keys on it. Los tengo. It must be one of these. The first key didn't fit the lock, and then the second went in but wouldn't turn. Finally, the third one turned, and the door swung open. Grab anything you wanna keep, boys. Burns told his fellow prisoners. Appears we're going on. The other men in the storeroom rustled around, collecting belongings, tugging on boots. Hurry, I urged. I don't know how long they'll sleep. The prisoners hurried out one by one, following Tres Dedos down the shadowed corridor. Burns grasped my hand in a firm grip. I don't know how you did this, Joaquin, but I appreciate it. Say, why don't you come with us? I can't leave Rosita. She's my world. You're what we call hopeless romantic, Joaquin. That's not a bad thing to be. I'm a Mexican. Romance is in our blood. Well, I have a feeling we'll see each other again, somewhere down the trail. I hope so. I wanted to say something more, but Barra moaned and shifted position. Had Manuel's jostling wakened him? The soldier's eyes fluttered. Go, I told Bill. Follow Tres Dedos. I'll take care of Barra. The Americans moved quickly out of the corridor and out of sight. I stood there, watching Barra, not sure how to fulfill my promise. I couldn't kill the man. Not only would it be wrong, but it would raise a bigger stink and ensure that the escaped prisoners had to be tracked down and punished. Babara was moving around. He raised a hand to his chin and wiped it. Blinked a few times. I made a sudden decision and rushed down the corridor in the opposite direction from the prisoners. Around the first corner, I slapped the wall hard with both hands and stopped peeking back toward the soldier. At the sound, Para lurched to his feet, unsteady as a man, three days drunk. He spun awkwardly in my direction, then noticed the open door. I slapped the wall once more, then raced toward an open doorway, hitting the walls to try to sound like several people. Barra stumbled after me, calling. Come back! Stop! After that, it was almost too easy. I passed through a doorway that led into a secluded prayer yard. I scrambled up a low adobe wall, then pulled myself up onto the roof of the chapel. Each time, I slowed to let Barra almost catch up and made enough noise to make Bara think he was still chasing all the prisoners. The wall around the prayer yard stopped him short. He tried to climb it, but either the drugged chocolate or his own lack of strength held him to the earth. He soon gave up and retraced his steps. I dropped down from the roof on the far side of the chapel. I entered through another door. Then hurried into the kitchen, heading out the main door. I saw Para trying to rouse the Santis. I yawned and rubbed my eyes. Uh, What's going on? I asked. Para glanced up, confused. His voice was thick, as if he had sand in his throat. Yeah, you're the Murieta boy, aren't you? What are you doing here, late? I couldn't sleep. Neither could Padre Escalante. We were talking, and he wanted some hot chocolate. So I made us some. I left it to cool for a few minutes, and when I came back, it was gone. Oh, huh. that was your chocolate. And Padre Escalante's. He's gone back to bed now, though. It was. I didn't like it. Ali drank his own and most of mine, and now I can't wake him. What are you saying? Someone drugged it? And the prisoners are gone! Bara cried, as if he had just remembered. They've escaped! I need to sound the alarm! Joaquin, can you ready the men's horses? I don't think the prisoners could have gone far, so we can still catch them. Of course, I said. I'll have them ready by the time you rouse the troops. I went to the stable, which now contained only three old mares, one of them lame, the other two in their dotage, and a burro. I didn't bother saddling them. Instead, I took a seat on a hay bale and waited to see the looks on the soldiers' faces when they arrived. (sighs) I wasn't disappointed.
2: You're listening to Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral. Blood and Gold is a Realm production in association with Striker Entertainment. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
0: Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with calm conductor Bertie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Blood and Gold stars Richard Cabral. Based on the novel Blood and Gold, the Legend of Joaquin Murrieta, by Jeffrey J. Marriott and Peter Murrieta. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalgh, Kaelin West, and Haley Wagreich. Adapted for audio by Greg Cox. Directed by Elizabeth Nolden. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Russell Binder, Peter Murrieta, Julian Yap, and Richard Cabral. Historical notes read by Elena Ray. Spanish Dialogue translated by Alana Graham. Regional Dialect Coaching by Luis Armando Mercado Campos. Sound Design by Eric Mooney. Mixing, Mastering, and Additional Sound Design by Rory O'Shea. Audio Editing by Corey Barton. Original Score by Juan Carlos Enriquez. Music Supervision by Marcus Begala. Production Manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production Coordinator, Angela Yi. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kindle Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary S. Find more shows like Blood and Gold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.